Good morning. You guys hear me okay? Well, it's good to see all of you. Uh, it's, it's been a while. It's been a few weeks. Um, just so you know, there are a ton of bees up here. And if you see me start doing anything kind of crazy, it's not that I have the Holy Ghost or anything like that. It's uh, just that I'm probably being stung. And I've got flip-flops, and they all kind of seem to be on the ground. So anyway, we'll see how that goes. Um, I just want to begin today uh, just by saying uh, thank you uh, to so many people. Um, you guys are, are our family. You're our church family. And as many of you know, a few weeks ago, we brought... Uh, Levi into the world. He's doing well. He's healthy. Uh, the outpouring of your love and support has been overwhelming, and um, it's just it, it's really helped in so many ways that that go, goes beyond words. Um, we are, of course, in the throes, as all of you can maybe remember or imagine if you've experienced having a newborn. Um, Leanna is doing her best, but we have almost a decade of mileage on us since the last one we did, so we are definitely feeling that. Um, so a little bit of sleep deprivation didn't kill anybody, I don't think. Um, maybe came close, but we're doing all right. And it is good for me to be here. Uh, Leanna sends her love to all of you. Um, and also, as many of you know, uh, last, last week we got the news that my uh, oldest brother had passed away. Um, and it was, uh, you talk about, you know, mountain, from a mountaintop to a valley. Uh, the emotional roller coaster has been uh, just kind of really hard overall to process. Uh, to keep up with, and so I'm going to try to keep everything together today <laughs> so uh, I don't fall apart up here. So if I'm reading something random and I start kind of crying, it's not for dramatic effect. It's just because I'm just processing a ton of emotions, um, but it is great to be with all of you. It's great to see your faces, and we've uh, really missed just being being with all of you. So, and again, thank you for your sympathies, for your your prayers, for just, again, with the, the, the funeral and, and just that my brother's pet, just again, the outpouring of this congregation and this body is truly what we've been talking about, what we've been hearing about in Acts. Uh, it is a church family. We're not just people that hang out together, but we walk through these challenges together. And so uh, I see each and every one of you. I don't see a crowd, and I am truly grateful for just the love that you've shared. Amen. I wanna just uh, take just a brief moment before I jump into the scripture today along with everything else that's been going on in, in our, my personal life, I guess you'd say, you know, watching everything that has been transpiring, uh, especially in Afghanistan, and just seeing uh, just the, the atrocities that are taking place. Um, I had, I've been there, I'd served there for a year, um, and it, it's, it's been another emotional kind of dump truck dumped on me uh, to process, and many, many of you, I'm sure, as well. Uh, and, and in the mix of all that, one thing that is, has come to the surface for me, and I've, I've been able to read a little bit about it and see, is, is the, the persecution of the church there in Afghanistan. Um, of course, there's persecution of just being an American, or if you've helped us in the past, um, and you're seeing these people that are stranded there, that are stuck there, and they, they realize um, probably death is, is, is on the horizon for them. Um, and... We just want to take a moment, and, and also the, the 13 service members that were killed recently, and the, the families that they represent. Uh, one, I, I read one of uh, the accounts through a friend that, that knew one of the guys, um, you know, and, and it's just, it's a shockwave. He was 23 years old, newly married, uh, you know, his life in front of him, 
and in a moment, it's just, it's gone. And so we just want to take a moment while we have this time to sit out under this beautiful sunny day that it's turned out to be in this beautiful setting, but to realize that there are people in this world uh, that are facing very difficult circumstances today. And so I just want to take a moment to just pray for Afghanistan and for all those involved. So if I would just invite you to join me as we do that. Heavenly Father, we come before you today, Lord God. God, we, we see uh, just the things that are happening around us, both here, but over, over across uh, the, the other side of the globe, Lord God. And, and just what's going on there, God, we just see the horrific images that are coming out of there. Um, and God, we, um, I pray, Lord God, that we never grow numb uh, to what we see, that this is not a TV show, this is not a movie, this is real life. And these people are desperate, Lord, uh, to, to, to hold on to their lives and to, to, to provide for their families and to, to provide safety for their families. And so, God, we just pray, Lord, for every single person there that's, that's struggling through this time, that is, is, is working through and, and trying to understand. God, we pray for these service members whose lives, uh, where they, they paid the ultimate price, Lord, of their lives. God, we pray for their families today. We pray for their friends, for, uh, Lord, their brothers and sisters in arms who are trying to process, Lord, and make sense of it all. And God, we just pray, Lord God, that you will continue, Lord, to let your hand rest upon those that are, are making decisions, that, that, that things be done uh, according to your will, and God, that you continue to lead and guide, Father God, as only you can. God, we um, realize that things can be out of control in this world, but Lord, things are never out of control, Lord God, when you are on the scene and we realize that you are sovereign. And so God, we know that there is a plan through all of this. We may not understand it, we may not see it, and Lord, we may not even agree with it at times, but God, we know at the end of the day that you are good and that you are God. And so God, I pray you just give us the ability and give us the strength, Lord God, to truly surrender, Lord, to what it is that you're trying to accomplish. Father, if there's anything in our hearts, Lord God, that can be brought about to good through this process, Lord God, we pray that you'll do that. And so God, we just pray, Lord, for our armed forces, for those that are serving, for those, Lord, again, that are also civilians, Lord, stuck on the ground in Afghanistan today. God, may you be close to them. And if they do not know you, Lord God, I pray that they would draw close and discover, Lord, who you are. In Jesus' name, and we all said, amen, amen. You know, it's interesting um, that we're talking about, you know, the things in Afghanistan. And as we will be in chapter 7 of Acts today and, and bringing this, uh, this part of our series to a close for, for a while here. But one thing I, that I find striking, and I've, I've seen this, I've, I've experienced it in my life at different times with people, but also even some of the, the interviews you can watch with some of these Christians um, that are in Afghanistan, and, and it's very intriguing, not intriguing, that's, that's, that's too light of a word, but to hear what somebody says when they know that death is pretty much inevitable for them. Things become very clear, don't they? They become very clear. All the frills, all the stuff that we think is important kind of just melts away in a moment, and things are seen in a, in a very real and powerful way very quickly. And, you know, to hear kind of almost like a calm in their voices, talking about my, my, my life here on earth is probably nearly finished here. I will probably be put to death soon. And to hear what they share and to hear what becomes priority in their lives is, is very key. And, and if you, you experience that, and I would encourage you to find some of those stories online, but today really what we're going to talk about and what we're talking about with Stephen is, is a moment, you know, that, that is very similar. He knew that when he went to this 
uh, in front of the San Sanhedrin with what he knew that he had to share, he was fully aware that this most likely would be his last moments on earth. And it's striking to me, I think, as, as we look through and we read through what he shares in this message of what is shared and what is important and how he walks through and the stance that he takes and the boldness that he takes in the face of death. And again, it is so hard for us, again, in our, in our world, and, and we just don't, we don't really face things like this, do we? Uh, we don't face a challenge like this. We don't, we don't really know. We can kind of understand from a distance as we watch and look at these stories in Afghanistan. But those people understand fully the difference between life and death. They understand fully what, how fragile life is and how short life is. And they see it for what it is. And so I, I would invite you today to really try to pause and put yourself, again, as best as we can. We can't fully understand it because most of us have never been in a position like that. But to put yourselves in that position and what would you do? What would you say and would you toe the line like Stephen does in his message today? As I said, today will be the, the last uh, message for now. It'll be the pause button in our series here that we've been going through called Unfinished. And it's, it's going you know, to wrap up, if you will, uh, the, the Great Commission, the first part of the Great Commission, which was what? It was to take the, the gospel to where? To all of Jerusalem, right? And so what we're going to see here is this is kind of the exclamation point at the end of that statement. They've, they've now flooded Jerusalem with the gospel, and it, it's, it's out there. They've gained, you know, a few thousand at a time of followers. And so the body of Christ is beginning to take shape there in Jerusalem. And they're about to now shift to the next part of the Great Commission and go broader. And so it kind of is a natural stopping point, if you will, or a pause point for us, as this, this message today will kind of be the capstone of this section of, of the opening act of, of the book of Acts. Interesting too, interestingly enough, too, it's, it's the longest uh, of the 19 speeches that we see throughout the book of Acts. It's, this is the longest one. To give you some comparison, the one when Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost was only 22 verses long, which is a pretty significant amount of space. Today's message from Stephen takes up 52 verses, 52 verses. And so we can understand that it's, it's, it's important what's being said and what's taking place, and they didn't want to cut anything out. Many um, scholars uh, think that it's, it's because of Luke's unwillingness to adjust his source material. So, I mean, obviously, Luke wasn't present necessarily in that room when this was happening. They, they ha he had to get this account from someone else. And, you know, people will... They've got different theories. Some think maybe it's some of the Sanhedrin that maybe came to Christ as a result of this, or perhaps even Saul when he became Paul later after his conversion, maybe shared what had happened in the room uh, as Stephen shared. And so that's where this comes, and he wanted to keep it intact. But understand this, and I, I kind of alluded to this as we'll be looking at chapter 7, verse 1 as we start, that what Stephen was accused of was blasphemy. Okay? Blasphemy. And as most of you probably know, blasphemy in that day and age was not okay. Blasphemy at that time, again, it, that's why I said earlier he pretty much knew what was going to happen regardless of what he said. That was blasphemy meant you would be stoned to death. That was, there was no, you know, we don't have to deliberate about this or what the punishment will be. It's death by stoning. It is a very ugly way to die. I'll just put it that way, as, as you can imagine. It's not quick, and it's not something, and that's why there was a, such a seriousness 
of, with blasphemy is because people did not want to experience something like that. And so, you know, his accusations, the accusations they made at the end of chapter 6 were very, very substantial. Uh, he was accused of blasphemy against Moses and God in chapter 6, verse 11, because they, they said that then they, um, sorry, verse 10, it said they could not withstand the wisdom of the Spirit which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. So it is chap it's verse 11, actually, in chapter 6. And so, again, this, the seriousness of this, and these guys are making this up, of course, but they're, they're trying to spin it. And so he had, they're saying that he had spoken against Moses and God, which was not good. And then it goes on in 6.13, and it says... Um, and they set, set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place, the temple, and the law. So again, all of these things, Moses, God, the temple, the law, these were sort of all the untouchable things. You didn't speak against it. You didn't say anything bad. You didn't look bad at it because this was like very, very serious. And so again, stoning was this, this punishment that Stephen was facing. And so what we're going to see today, and we're not going to have time, and you're probably all thankful for this too. We can't read this word for word. <laughs> I like to go, you know, line by line as much as I can usually, but this is uh, just too much. I mean, unless you want to be here for three hours or so. Anybody okay with that? Okay, we got some. We got two, three, four. Yeah. But we're going to go with the majority today, and we'll keep it, we'll kind of condense as much as we can. But I would encourage you, please, and this is, Pastor Tony says this a lot, I want to say it as well, you know, go home, open your Bibles when you get home, spend this week after you hear this message, and, and really go through chapter 7 and, and read it for yourself, because there's a lot in there. Um, and so what Stephen does, though, is he, when he makes his defense, he gets his chance to speak, he's going to break uh, down this message that he's going to share into three parts. Uh, verses 2 through 16, is, is, uh, he's going to cover the patriarchal period of time, all right, in, in, in the Jewish history. Uh, in verses 17 through 43, it's the Mosaic period of time. And then in 44 through 50, it's the, the period of the tabernacle. And so he kind of breaks it into these three sort of time periods where he's going to just hit on some things and present his, his case, if you will. And so let's read. We're going to begin reading in uh, uh, chapter 7 and verse 2. And notice how he starts out. He starts right out the shoot with this, this phrase, brothers and fathers, hear me. Brothers and fathers, hear me, which is huge and, and it's a significant thing because he is, he is showing respect to these men, even the false witnesses, and he's acknowledging them as, as his brothers and even fathers spiritually to him as, as in the, the Jewish tradition. And so he's showing a tremendous amount of respect, even though he's in this difficult situation. And so he goes on from there and he says this. He says, The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran, and said to him, Go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after this, after his father died, God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. Yet he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length, but promised to give it to him as a possession and to his offspring after him, though he had no child. And God spoke to this effect, that his offspring would be sojourners in a land belonging to others who would enslave them and afflict them 400 years. And again, that's a roundabout. It was actually more like, I think, 430 years, but it's just a roundabout number. 
verse 7, but I will judge the nation that they serve, said God, and after that they shall come out and worship me in this place. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob of the 12 patriarchs. Verse nine, and the patriarchs jealous of Joseph. Again, he's just kind of giving this overview of the history of how they came to the moment that he's standing in. And the patriots, patriarchs Joseph, uh, jealous of Joseph sold him into Egypt, but God was with him and rescued him out of all his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt and over all his household. Now there came a famine throughout all Egypt and Canaan and great affliction and our fathers could find no food. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers on their first visit. And on the second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers and Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. And Joseph sent and summoned Jacob, his father, and all his kindred, 75 persons in all. And Jacob went down into Egypt and he died, he and our fathers. And they were carried back to Sechem and laid to the, in the tomb that Abraham had bought for a sum of silver from the sons of Hamor and Sechem. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this time. And Lord, I thank you, God, just that you will speak to us. Lord, thank you for this amazing account, Lord God, as we see this man uh, that you had called standing up, Lord God, proclaiming truth, uh, proclaiming truth with boldness, Lord, in the face of certain death. And God, may we be uh, moved today and, and encouraged, Lord, in our walk. In Jesus' name. Amen. So again, this was that first period, that patriarchal period where Abraham uh, received the promise from God. And again, you think about the many, many years that <laughs> the, the centuries, if you will, that took place as things began to unfold and was laid out before them. And, you know, he's hitting on Abraham and then he, he kind of gets to the place where uh, how the, the 12 patriarchs, you know, Joseph and his brothers came to be. And even it touched on how they, what, how they had treated Joseph. And again, what you're going to see here is, is his theme throughout, everything that he's going to share, is the fact of how the one that God had chosen, the one that God had, had picked to, to deliver the people, how he was persecuted over time, how he was mistreated by the ones, the very ones he was trying to save. And so again, in Joseph's case, you know, he, he was mocked by his brothers. And, and, and again, it would have been bad enough to throw him in a pit, leave him there, and, and he die. But then they even went a step further and they sold him into slavery, didn't they? They sold him. Now, again, everybody here, things should kind of be rattling around in your brain a little bit. Like, that sounds sort of familiar. <laughs> if we look at Jesus, right? And wasn't he sold for an amount? Judas betrayed him basically for, for 20 pieces of silver, right? And so all of these people that he's going to hit on, you're going to see what we call these types and shadows. We see like a glimpse of what was to come with Jesus and remind, uh, be, be certain that this is what Stephen is, is getting to, is back to this who Jesus was and what these men did. And so again, he's just laying out the groundwork Again, Abraham's call, really, when God came and showed up to Abraham, his call was to separation from the rest of the world. God called him out of the world. He called him from the idolatry, worshiping multiple gods, into worshiping the one true God. He was calling him out of something. And whenever God calls us from something, God is calling us to something else, right? We don't just kind of come out of something and sit there in limbo and exist. 
He's calling us to something. And so what he was calling Abraham to was simply faith in God. From calling him from the world and calling him to faith in God. And again, really that invitation is still what exists today for you and for me, right? For those who don't know Jesus, you know, the invitation is there to, to exit, to come out of the world, to come out of where you are and to come into Christ and to be restored into, into relationship with God. So that invitation is there. It's calling, God is calling us to be separate from the world. But as many of us know, there are a lot of people who profess to be Christians, but it is very hard to, to, dif, to discern them from the people in the world versus the people in Christ, isn't it? You know, they, people should know us by our actions and our words <laughs> that we are Christians, not just the fact that we show up to church on Sunday. <laughs> so I didn't expect an amen there. Just you can smile and nod and we'll keep rolling. But he moves from this, this patriarchal period now and he's going to keep on steamrolling. And this is the mosaic period is we're going to have to really condense because, again, it's, it's the big chunk of all of this. Um, and so if you have your Bibles or if you're following online, he begins in, in, in verse 17, and he starts to, to, to move into uh, the time when, when the uh, children of God were in Egypt and about Moses coming in when Moses was born and that whole story. And I want to jump in, in in verse 23. And it's, it's talking about Moses, and he says, uh, he says here, when he was 40, when he, Moses, was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. So again, Moses understood who, what his heritage was. Moses understood where he came from. And so he, he saw his people being persecuted and, and, and um, you know, beaten, and he, he wants to, to visit them. And so he goes down to see them, and in verse 24, and seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man, and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. So again, if somebody was beating you up, was mistreating you, and somebody came in, and, and maybe, you know, even perhaps coming, bringing you to a place almost to death, and someone comes in and saves you and kills that person. Now again, maybe an overreaction on his part a bit, I don't know. But if somebody saved your life, wouldn't the natural response be to like, wow, thank you so much? <laughs> You know, I think thank you would probably be the, the smallest thing you would do. I think, you know, you would probably say, I owe my life to you, literally. But notice what happens here. He strikes this Egyptian down in verse 25. And he supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand. And notice how it goes on. But they did not understand. And on the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling. So again, he saves this guy's life. He comes walking in the next day like, hey, you know, remember yesterday I did that thing? You know, I should be. He comes walking in and he appears and they're quarreling. And he, what does he do? He doesn't jump in and beat somebody. He says he tries to reconcile them saying, men, you are brothers. Why do you wrong each other? Now, I'm really tempted here as a pastor to stop here and just to preach on that. Because <laughs> that'll preach, right? That'll preach. He's supposed to, <laughs> it says, you know, you're supposed to be brothers. Why do you wrong each other? And I think that, that that's just a good reminder for all of us here today as believers. You know, especially with things in the world right now, with, with some of the things that, you know, I'm going to just say all the words so I can just trigger all of your, your, your buttons. But, you know, whether it's vaccinated, unvaccinated, masked, unmasked, all those happy terms, right? Yeah, y'all love me now, I know. But check it out. We're called to love one another. 
We are called to walk in grace and in understanding to one another. And frankly, I don't care if you're vaccinated or unvaccinated. I don't care if you wear a mask or don't wear a mask. We can love one another. We can gather together. And yeah, there's things that we can work out and we can have discussions. We can even have disagreements. But let me tell you, for us to be divided, and this comes down from, from other places too, other pastors that are sharing these struggles, it's because they're seeing division come into the church over issues that are really something that's on the outside. Because let me tell you right now, let me tell you right now, this, this is not of eternal weight, what we're facing right now. It feels heavy, trust me, I understand. And, and, and we take seriously everything. And that's what we're trying to do here. The elders, I assure you, we meet. We're, we're trying to navigate these times the best we can. But at the end of the day, we're brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. We are supposed to love one another because you know how people will know that we are the disciples of Jesus Christ? The word of God says that they will know us by the way we love one another. And so I just want to challenge each of you today, regardless of what position you take, and I respect it, are you walking in a way that's loving to the person to your left and to your right? Are you speaking in a way that's loving to the person to your left and to your right? Because at the end of the day, we're all going to be in glory one day, right? Those of us who are in Jesus, this is all going to be just a moment. And so I get it. And I, I don't want you to misunderstand my words that I, I take things lightly. I just, I just take God much heavier than whatever situation we're facing. And I say that from somebody that's just brought a new baby into the world and who's just said goodbye to his brother. I have a very strong sense right now of what is eternal and what, is, what matters in this world. And God is God and God is sovereign, amen? So that was a freebie for you. You're welcome. I love you. So let's keep, keep rolling here. Uh, verse 27 or just before that, men, you are brothers. Why do you wrong each other? But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside, saying, who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? At this resort, retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. So again, they're, they're saying this, you know, who are you or who made you a ruler? This, this guy that jumped in and he saved somebody, Again, Moses should have had a place, but here these people are still failing to recognize the significance of who he was and what he was saying and what he was trying to do. Let's skip down to, to verse 35. And it, it picks up, this Moses whom they rejected, saying, who made you a ruler and a judge? Again, going back to that. This man God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. This man, okay, so Moses had left had the burning bush experience, sent by God, came back, and was rejected. Key phrases there, sent by God and yet still rejected. And that should be a reminder to all of us, right? There are times when we are called, when God has told us to do something, when God has called us to do something, and when we go in and we think, we're, hey, we're going to help somebody or we're going to do this thing and it's going to be amazing, but yet we're, we're met with retaliation or even, you know, anger, so don't be discouraged if you know that you've been called to do something and you're doing it and you're not seeing maybe a response that you'd expected because it's been happening for all of time. And so, and again, we're seeing the same things happen here with Moses, who is, again, a type and shadow of Jesus, right? Jesus bringing the Israelites out of Egypt is, this, is the way that Jesus is bringing us out of this world. And so this is showing us, and again, Stephen's making this point to these men that are sitting in front of him, 
that there, there was a rejection of Moses, much like the rejection of Jesus. And in verse 39, it says, our fathers refused to obey him. So again, Stephen's making his point, but thrust him aside and in their hearts, they turned to Egypt. And all of us need to be reminded of that today because there are times I think in our hearts where we're drawn back into the things of the world. We see things in the world and we're drawn to that, right? If we're not careful. God has called us out through Jesus Christ of the world. We're saved, but yet there are times when we want to look back and we're drawn back into the things of the world, to our old ways, and we shouldn't be doing that. So again, understand that there's a pattern set of inability to recognize a savior and an inability to follow well. That's, that's the problem. How many love to be told what to do? Anybody? Yeah, I usually get one person, you know? Okay. I tell you, in the military, I kind of, I do kind of miss, especially like trying to decide what I'm going to wear in the mornings. It's like green, 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 green. You know, it's all the same. <laughs> Which pair of boots that are all identical should I wear? And it's kind of, it is kind of nice because you don't have to think, oh, oh, I've got to leave this place and go to another place. You know, when they assign you somewhere new, it's like you don't have any choice. You just got to do it. So there's a, 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 <laughs> there's a bit of enjoyment, but most of us at the end of the day don't like to be told what to do. It's, it's hard for us, right? I think we're all in agreement. And, you know, and so here we are, you know, we're seeing this, and, and, and Stephen's bringing this to, think, to, to a head here, that there's an inability to recognize when somebody comes in and saves us that we still have this inability to follow well. <laughs> you know, anybody got in an airplane and you know, the, during takeoff and once they're in the air and you're flying and maybe you're in some turbulence, right? Anybody ever gotten up and gone up to the cockpit and, and asked the pilot like, hey, do you need some advice here on what I think you should do? Any takers on that? <laughs> no, you just sit back and you, you got your seatbelt and you probably, you know, death gripped on the person next to you or whatever. And you're just like, okay, I'm trusting the person that's at the front that knows what they're doing and has a better view than I do. <laughs> Amen? We need to do that with Jesus, okay, in our lives. You may be going through a turbulent time. You may be going through a struggle. You may be going through challenges. And you may not be able to see the way forward very clearly. But much like on that airplane, you don't, need, you don't have a front windshield, do you? All you do is look out the side and look at the pretty horizons and you let them do what they are supposed to do. And the same is for us with Jesus. And so again, Stephen's bringing this to, to their attention. And so no one here could, could hold accusations of blasphemy against Stephen after his deep respect that he's been showing, both for the law and for this human mediator. So Stephen has walked them through. Again, this is not somebody in their circle. This is a person that shouldn't know this, but he's been empowered by the Holy Spirit with what he's sharing. He understands the past and what's going on, and he's piercing their heart through the words that he shares. And so that brings us to this period of tabernacles, um, and it's, here, we'll just kind of work through this. It's only a few verses, 44 through 50. And he, this, uh, the period of the tabernacle, sorry. And then he's, he says this, our fathers had the tent of witnesses in the wilderness. Remember, they built this, this tent in the wilderness, just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it according to the pattern that he had seen. Our fathers in turn brought it with Joshua uh, when they dispo dispossessed the nation that God drove out before our fathers. So it was until the days of David who found favor in the sight of God and asked to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. Who asked to build a dwelling place for God? David. Okay, let's try that again. Who asked to build a dwelling place for God? David, right. Good answer. 
So understand that, that it, was, it was his, his idea, his thought, all right? And so, but it, but it goes on in verse 47, it says, but it was Solomon who built a house for him. In verse 48, yet, here it is, the most high does not dwell in houses made by hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hands make all these things? So again, understand here, it was David's thought, David's idea, but at the end of the day, God does not dwell in a building or a structure, does he? That's not, it's God of the universe. He's like, what is this? And, and again, understand that this whole section, if you have a, a Bible that has cross-references, you're gonna see all kinds of footnotes because what he's doing is he's just pulling verse after verse, chunk after chunk from the Old Testament. Most of his words are not like his own words. He's just pulling from the Old Testament. And so these people, these, these Sanhedrin can't argue with this. And so he's just laying it all out and he's making the point that this structure, this temple is not holy in and of itself. Only God is holy. And again, we can be reminded of that today. And this is what we say all the time is that the church is not a place. It is a people. You are the church. I am the church. We are the church together, not in a structure or in a building. We could meet somewhere else in a field somewhere and we could be the church. Amen. And so always remember that, that, that we're not called and God is not impressed with our elaborate facilities or buildings or things like that. He's impressed with our, our hearts that are towards him and that love him. That is the place he resides. And so again, this temple was never intended to be worshiped. Uh, temples come and go, right? They, these buildings come and go. I remember visiting many places over there in the Middle East and seeing these old structures that used to be these beautiful palaces and, and now they're just a, a few like pillars and some dirt and some steps like left and like, oh wow, this is where it used to be. That's neat, but it's gone. <laughs> All of its greatness is, has been worn away over time. So these people that he are, he's speaking to at this temple, they, they'd elevated the temple and themselves to an unhealthy place. And now we come to kind of the big, the big moment that I want to get us to in verse 51. And here's where Stephen, if, if they haven't gotten the hint yet that he's talking about them, this is where he's going to kind of bring it full circle and just make it very clear and just lay it out for him, right? And so here it goes in, in, in verse 51. You stiff-necked people, right? Now, it doesn't sound really bad in our version of the Bible, but that was a very... Very bad, bad thing to say. It had a lot of weight. That, that term, that phrase was very, it would make somebody upset. I remember my wife, I think I might have shared this with you before, when we were having Joshua while we were in Kuwait. And um, there were some misunderstandings, and I found out that I wasn't going to be able to be in the delivery room when he was born. Like, as she's being wheeled down for surgery. Now, I'm a pastor, and I love Jesus, but... I had a moment. I was not happy. Um, and so I, I, I felt free to express my unhappiness, okay? And so I did. And so I get into basically an argument with a doctor who's going to be bringing my son into the world. Not a good, good thing, by the way. Um, because nothing had been said all along. You know, we, I'd been there for every other son. I, 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 I'm like, why? I was in the military. Like, I, I can, it's not going to, like, sorry, that's the hospital policy, blah, 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 blah. And it was the funniest thing because when I, we, we were sharing words. I wasn't cursing. 
this if you're wondering. I was I kept that that fine. I was letting him know how much I loved him, but um, we exchanged words back and forth. But then when I said this is ridiculous, <laughs> ridiculous, right? I don't know how you feel about the word ridiculous. It doesn't really hurt my feelings too much if you say that to me. But that was like when the wheels came off. Like the doctor just threw his hands up. He got super aggressive and angry and was like, well, you can go somewhere else. That, you know. And it was in that moment I came to my senses when I saw his re reaction, like maybe I should probably be nicer to the person that could potentially be bringing my son into the world. And so anyway, we were able to back it off. But that, that term, it was just funny because to me it meant nothing. But to him, it was like the most offensive thing I could have said, you know? Because I think he kind of interpreted it as like I was saying, like it's like a circus or this is like a, you know, a sideshow here going on. And so we did end up, I backed off. I wasn't present for my Josh's birth, but, you know, the one doctor brought him out. I saw him right away. And it wasn't ideal or perfect, but we got through it. But it's just understanding when we read some of these terms, we have to understand the depth of the meaning. And so you stiff-necked people, and again, throughout the Old Testament, that's what you read, Right? When God is talking about the people of Israel, he's like, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in your heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit, okay? So again, Stephen started to lay it down here. As your fathers did, so do you. Remember how he started out, brothers and fathers, right? And now he's saying, your fathers, showing the respect but he's like, just like them, you're exactly the same way. Verse 52, which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one whom you have now betrayed and murdered. Now remember Peter and he had shared that with the people and you know, there was a great response. Now, not so much, right? Not so much. 53, you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. And so now he really just kind of brings it all together, does he? There's no question. He's not speaking metaphorically anymore. He's basically like, you guys are the ones who killed Jesus. You're evil. You're bad. You're just like your ancestors and you're doing the same exact thing, except they just killed prophets. You killed the actual Messiah. You know, congratulations. You win the prize of the biggest moron or whatever. I don't know what he said, but you missed it. <laughs> They missed it, right? That's a pretty big miss. You know, it's not like missing just something like small or minute. No, you missed the one thing that had been promised for generations, the one person who had been foretold for all time. You missed it. And then there's a brief moment they have a chance to respond in a, in a good way. <laughs> because here's the thing, who's on trial here? I don't think it's Stephen anymore, is it? <laughs> Unbeknownst to them, I, in the process, in the midst of it all, Stephen basically put that whole group of men on trial and condemned them right in front of them, all in, you know, in the same moment. Pretty awesome, I think, and pretty amazing. And it's not because, again, it's not because Stephen was great, but as we're going to see, it's because he was full. We've been talking about this. Pastor Tony talked about it for the past couple of weeks. What are you full of? Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit in this moment. And if you've ever faced something in your life, if you've ever done something where you just sense God's hand on you, where you sense God's presence with you, God is with you so close. And I've experienced this. I've experienced this even in the past week or so. 
because I, I sense God's strength, I sense his presence, and I sense in difficult situations the words to say, the actions to make, the things to do, the things not to do. And this is how God works. But the beauty in one sense of it, but it's, is you can't experience it unless you put yourself in that position. If Stephen had chosen to run, if Stephen had chosen to, to, to crumble and fall away, he would have never known what it was to be full of the Spirit and to be engaged and to let God use him as a mouthpiece, which he's being used in this moment. So he's, he brings this main point from the whole entire line he's been drawing. And again, he connects them to their fathers. Now all the dots are connected and again, Stephen has now flipped the room and has placed the Sanhedrin on trial. He just brought all the failures from the Jewish past into the room, and he simply dumps it on their lap and says, congratulations, now it's you. And now we get to the end here, to their response. How many, think, how many of you think you know how this is going to go? <laughs> think it's going to go okay? Think it's going to go well? It's not, you're right. Verse 54, now when they heard these things, they were enraged. Go figure, right? They were enraged. And they ground their teeth at him. I've never seen, I don't know if I've ever seen somebody grind their teeth like at somebody, but it seems to be a thing in the Bible. And it doesn't sound, it sounds like they must have been pretty angry. They ground their teeth. And here it is, verse 55, but he, here's our phrase, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the son of man standing at the right hand of God. And, and church, I wanna challenge you today that in these moments, when you're facing the most horrific things, when you're facing what seems to be the biggest challenges, you can still see God through it all. You can still see the face of Jesus through it all. If you allow yourself and if you're looking for that, if you, if you look ahead and to what God's called you to, you can still sense that God is with you through it all. In verse 57, but they cried out with a loud voice and they stopped their ears and rushed together at him. They didn't want to hear anymore. They were angry. They were furious. And instead of hearing what he said and saying, you know what, you're right, <laughs> They're saying, no, we, now we want to silence you because you make us feel guilty or bad. And the witnesses, and I use that term lightly because that's legally what they were supposed to be, laid down their garments, or I'm sorry, I, I'm, I went too far ahead. Um, that, verse 58, then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And it says, and the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And this is kind of our cliffhanger, if you will, though many of you know the story. But this is going to kind of, this is introing Saul for our next section whenever we get back to our series again. Uh, that's where we're going to pick up. And we're going to pick up in the life of Saul, who eventually becomes Paul. But he was present there in that moment. In verse 59, and, and as they were stoning Stephen, so again, this is a process, and you know, I was reading a little bit about it, and, and I've read about it in the past, but you know, oftentimes they would lead the person, it says, up to like a nine or ten foot, uh, uh, like a scaffolding or something, and they would push them off this scaffolding, and then when they landed, they would, the, the second person, whoever was that had that honor, would take a large stone and either drop it on their chest or on their head, all right, to really get the process going, if you will. And then everybody would just continue to throw rocks until the person was dead. 
It was a horrific way to die. It was a painful way to die. And it was, it was a, a very long process in death. And so verse 59, understand that this is in the process while Stephen is being hit with these rocks. The pain and everything, you know, again, he's not missing. He's experiencing every moment. He calls out in that moment, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Receive my spirit. Do not hold this sin against them. Or maybe we could say forgive them. Doesn't that sound familiar to you? As Jesus was on the cross, Lord, forgive them for they know not what they do, right? Into your hands, I commend my spirit. Commit my spirit, right? Same echo of Jesus. And we see him, you know, dying, not, not dying and hurling insults and vulgarities at these people, but saying, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And it finishes, and when he said this, he fell asleep. He fell asleep. And that means for us as believers, that's what it is. We, we fall asleep simply to wake up in eternity with Jesus. And so Stephen here, again, the key thing is he was full of the Holy Spirit. You know, I remember the, if you remember a number of years back, I don't know how big it was over here. I, I would assume it was pretty, pretty big when, when ISIS marched out a line of, of Christians on, the, on that beach, I think it was, I believe it was the Mediterranean Sea, all in those orange jumpsuits, do you remember? What, a, what, a, what an image as they, they knelt these men down and proceeded to behead them. And I don't know if you read the story about the village where these men came from. I, I was trying to find it, and if I do find it, I'll try to get it out somewhere on our social media or something. But um, basically what happened is, when they went back to their village or when, when, when people went to the village to, to, to find out how these people were doing after losing so many men from the same village that were Christians, they went back to find the village rejoicing and celebrating. And they're like, what are you celebrating? And they're like, well, they professed Jesus to the very end. They died for Christ. <laughs> and so why wouldn't we celebrate? Now, again, it doesn't mean there's not a, a grief for the loss of the person here on earth, but in the end of it all, they were rejoicing that up until the very end and through a horrific death like that, they professed Jesus Christ. And in other accounts say they could be heard professing Jesus as Lord as they were being murdered. Wow. That is sobering, and that is, it, it really brings it home to really what we're seeing with Stephen here, isn't it? Not hurling these insults that he could have, being angry, but instead saying, Lord, do not hold this against them. And his eyes were set on heaven. As we begin to, to wrap up our time here today, and I want to talk about this term, you know, that, that, that he fell asleep, this phrase. And uh, again, for me, losing my brother uh, this, you know, a couple weeks ago, a week ago or so, and, you know, it it's such, brings such comfort to know that he's simply fallen asleep. That one day we will be reunited in heaven that we will be re reunited and we will be present with God and, and it will be a wonderful experience and that we can find that hope for those of us who are in Christ. Uh, we, um, we attended the, the memorial service for Maria yesterday and it was, I tell you, having been around a lot of services and different, when it's, when it's the, the service or the memorial service for a believer, it's really a celebration of life, isn't it? It's a celebrating of the life that they had. And, and though sometimes life is cut short and doesn't seem maybe fair, there's just a different feel, 
in the room because we know that this isn't the end. This is just a pause button until we're reunited once again where there is no more pain, there is no more tears, there's no more you know, suffering, but it's just it's, it's experiencing God in his fullness and in his love. In Afghanistan right now, as we touched on earlier too, it's, it's these, these people are experiencing, especially Christians, they're, they're in danger of losing their lives for the simple fact that they are Christian. And yet they, there is a calm. I'm sure it's not what they want. <laughs> I'm sure they would much rather be somewhere much nicer, you know, much more comfortable in their flesh as far as that goes. But they're experiencing the fullness of God and they know that every moment is simply one step closer to being present with God in eternity. I'd like to read from 1 Thessalonians as we close today. Uh, verse 4. I'm sorry, chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. It says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of a command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And so I just want to share that with you today. I know that this has been an encouragement for me this past week or so. And I want to encourage all of you as, as you, you face challenges and as we face the many things that are left in our lives ahead of us. You know, it may not be as, as abrupt as literal like the Taliban, you know, knocking on our door. It could come to that perhaps someday, but we don't know. But we're still, we face those challenges, don't we? And we face those uncertainties. And, and I just want you to be encouraged today and remember that it's, it's simply that we do not have to grieve as those who have no hope. For our hope is in Jesus Christ, amen? Our hope is not in, you know, who's in the White House or who's in uh, Springfield or whatever. <laughs> our hope is in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And we will walk it out together. We will do so in love. You know, this is a reminder today for us that we shouldn't just be focused on living long, but instead on living well. We don't know how long we're going to be on this earth. We see it every single day. We see lives that are cut short. We see those that maybe aren't great people in our eyes live long. We don't know. And we, there's this great fascination with how do I extend my life just a little bit longer? How do I just go on just a little bit further? But I would challenge you today to ask instead the question, not am I living long, but am I living well on this earth in my time that I've been given? Because your time here on earth is a gift from God. And what are you doing with it today? What are you doing with it? And I don't know about you, but whenever I read in the scripture of, you know, when standing before God and he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Those, that should be the phrase that every single one of us longs to hear. Not, Hey, you know what? You made it in. You could have done a lot more. <laughs> well done, good and faithful servant. 
Because if we're not careful, church, this, this type of focus on living just long can become almost a form of worshiping ourselves. It can become a form, we can become infatuated and obsessed with just living longer. But again, let's focus on living better. Would you bow your heads? Heavenly Father, we thank you for today, Lord God. I thank you for, Lord, just the, the, the sermon series as we prepare to hit the pause button for the rest of this year, and we'll probably pick it up next year at some point. God, I thank you for just all that has been shared. I pray, Lord, that we've been challenged, Lord, as a church, as, as the body of Christ, Lord God. Yes, we're, we're a considerable amount of years removed from this account. But Lord, the message is still the same. Your message of hope is still the same. You are still calling people to come into yourself and to come to you through Jesus Christ. And God, let us not be counted among the Sanhedrin as, as Luke shared a number of weeks back. We're so quick to put ourselves in Stephen's shoes when so many times we can be found sitting amongst the ranks of the ones who stoned him and judging him. God, I pray in Jesus' name, Lord God, that, that we would move forward as a body of Christ, as believers, Lord, with boldness, not being caught up in the things of this world, of, of the things that are fading away, or, or of just extending our life a little bit longer, Lord, but we would face those challenges and we would be moved and, and we would be challenged, Lord God, to instead live our life well, to live our life according to your word and to live our life with one another, in love with one another as a testimony to those who are around us. God, in the name of Jesus, I pray, Lord, that, that we will be a church that loves one another well. And God, that we will be a light, Lord, to a dark world. And God, that we will go forward and we will springboard forward through times of challenge, God, through times of uncertainty. Why? Because we can be certain, because we know the one who has authored it all. Lord, let us be like Stephen and fix our eyes on heaven and know that Jesus is calling us, Lord, forward. That this is not the end. Lord, that this is just a season. And God, may we have the boldness, Lord, that we see in Stephen's life. God, may we be full of your spirit as we see in Stephen's life today. Lord, to share and proclaim, Lord, the good news of the gospel because literally lives are depending on it. Forgive us, Father, where we have taken for granted our time, our precious, the most precious gift here that we have on earth, the time that we're given. God, may we love others well. God, may we share the love of Christ with others well. And God, may we cherish, Lord, our brothers and sisters in Christ that journey with us. God, I'm grateful, Lord, for this congregation, for this body of Christ, for the beautiful people, Lord God, that you have brought together that make up Long Grove Community Church. And God, I pray, Lord, that our arms continue to be held open wide to receive those who are hurting, to receive those that are lost, to receive those looking for life eternal, that we may show them, Lord, to the cross and to Jesus. I thank you, Father God, for what you're doing and what you're going to do. And God, I pray, Lord, that the words shared today, your word, Father God, has struck us deep to the core. And unlike the Sanhedrin, but instead like those crowds who heard Peter speak, who turned from their sin, who recognized they need Jesus, God, may we be counted among them today. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand?